You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. The heart of this message came in the middle of the night the other night, and it was for me. You may not feel like you're blessed, but you suffer in the will of God, you're blessed. You're blessed. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're blessed. Produces perseverance. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character. Did you know that if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're considered blessed? In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches that you are blessed if you suffer for the will of the Lord. Oftentimes, if you're following God and suffering comes, you don't feel very blessed. You probably are wondering what you've done wrong, or maybe thinking that you should give up. However, when suffering for Christ comes, you are blessed. You should rejoice, because suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 21. took him aside. Don't you love Peter? Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, you could have heard a pin drop among the disciples when Jesus spoke those words to Peter. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get thee behind me. Satan? Peter's not the only one that looked to dissuade Jesus from a path of potential death. John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 6. So when he, Jesus, learned, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? What they're saying is, that's not a good idea. Not only for Jesus' sake, but for their sake, because they're his followers. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What does that mean? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Someone walking in the light is walking in the will of God. Someone not walking in the light is not walking in the will of God. And you know what happens for someone not walking in the will of God? They stumble. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus 
has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. They say, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And then he finally tells them, verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then Thomas, verse 16, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And he says it, you have to believe, kind of sarcastically. He's not excited. He's not approving of the decision to go back to Judea because they tried to kill Jesus. And they say, well, if you go back there, they're going to try to kill you again. I completely understand I'm a parent. I, com- I completely understand, and, but I don't agree. I understand when you don't want your child to go on that cross-cultural mission trip, especially to that country. I mean, at the very least, they're going to get sick. And God forbid, they come back off that cross-cultural mission trip and God actually speaks to them and calls them now to go to that country for the rest of of their life and take your grandkids. I understand. God gave me this in the middle of the night. It's for me, but I pass it on to you. They may get sick. They may suffer. And yes, they may die. And I put this next in bold italic. God gave me this, but to die for the cause of Christ and in the will of God is to live. And to live for only the comforts and pleasures of this world outside of the will of God is to die. One more time, back to Matthew 16, after Jesus so strongly rebukes Peter. The next verse, verse 24, listen to what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, after he rebuked Peter, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you believe what Jesus said, it means that until you're all in for Jesus Christ, you've never really begun to live. Unless you've totally committed your life to Jesus and say, Lord, I'll I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I want your will for my life, no matter what the cost. If you've never been all in for Christ, you've never really lived. Practical instructions in 1 Timothy about several things. One of them has to do with widows. I want to pull one statement out. The widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Let me read you Ephesians chapter 2, just the opening verses Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The Spirit telling Paul what's going to happen to him. The Spirit telling the other disciples, hey, this is what's going to happen to Paul. Bad things. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Being led by the Spirit. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? By the Holy Spirit. So if someone without the Spirit 
An unbeliever can't understand our decisions in following Jesus, such as, you know, taking the kids and going to another country, if that's the will of God for my life. And somebody without the spirit looks at that and goes, are you crazy? They don't understand that. But sometimes even those who have the spirit don't get it. And so if those who have the spirit sometimes don't get it, we shouldn't expect anybody who doesn't have the spirit to understand our decisions following Jesus. Luke 9, 51, here's what it says. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he came from heaven, he's going back to heaven. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, that's the cross, right? He resolutely, it's a strong Greek word, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he will not let Peter or any other apostle or anybody else deter him because he's all in for God's will for his life. The Father's plan laid out before the beginning of the world. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he made the final decision as he sweat great drops of blood and he got up. Nobody took his life, he laid it down. Now I want to share something that just, it, it's just so cool. It, it's just so cool. If you don't think it's cool, you're not cool. It's just so cool. Once you go all in for Jesus Christ, nobody can touch you apart from the Father's will. It, I don't know how God does it. It's such a great mystery. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Watch what happens back in our, in our study, Acts. Watch what happens as God uses human decision and free will, this mob and the, the Jewish leaders, and somehow, I don't know how he does it, he works it out without violating their will to fulfill his perfect plan in and through Paul's life. Let me summarize a bit. Chapter 21, verse 37 Paul asks permission from the Roman commander in the next few verses to speak to the crowd. He speaks to them in Aramaic, and uh, they listen up because they're surprised he speaks Aramaic. And they listen until chapter 22, uh, verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, Paul says, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, they hate the Gentiles. They didn't like that. So verse 22 of chapter 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this, and then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. These guys hate him so much. You get to chapter 23, and a group of them come to the Jewish leadership, and they say, we've made a vow, and we're not going to eat again until we fulfill the vow. We're going to kill Paul. And the Jewish leaders are happy about that, especially somebody else is going to do it. Plan is the next morning, they're going to ambush him. And just by chance, by chance, Paul's nephew hears about it, the plot to kill his uncle. He goes and he tells Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul says, go tell the Roman commander. And he goes and tells the Roman commander. Chapter 23, verse 22, the commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. And then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. That's a lot of military might. To go to Caesarea at nine tonight under the cover of darkness. Provide horses for Paul, not just one horse. Make sure he's always got a fresh one. So that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Did you hear that last line? So that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. 
God said, when Paul got saved, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, their rulers, including the likes of Governor Felix. Let me read it one more time. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. If this was happening in our culture in America, Paul would be heavily guarded, a military escort, and his ride, his ride, a government-issued SUV bulletproof. (laughs) I just want to tell you again, that's so cool. That's just so cool. I don't know how you do it, but he does. In the will of God, Paul will stand before Felix and share the gospel. He will stand before Governor Festus and share the gospel. He will stand before Herod Agrippa and he will share the gospel. And ultimately, he would stand before Caesar himself and he would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And later, he would write things like this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. <laughs> but, but I want you to know words in closing this letter to the Philippian church in chapter four. Listen to what he writes here. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Some of Caesar's own family became followers of Jesus Christ. And those who worked for him became followers of Jesus Christ. All the wisdom of God in outsmarting the enemy. You know the ultimate example of God outsmarting the enemy? The cross is the ultimate example of God outsmarting the enemy. Paul writes, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Even though prophesied in places like Isaiah, And even though the specific prophecies about what would happen as Jesus went to the cross, Satan, he knows the Bible, but he never saw it. It's hidden. If Satan had any inkling that his ultimate defeat was by sending Jesus to the cross, he would have never entered Judas Iscariot and Judas would never have betrayed his Lord. It's the wisdom of the cross. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of Joseph 17 years old, God gives him two dreams that mean the same thing. They are prophetic dreams about his future. He has a future that is glorious. He's going to be exalted. As a matter of fact, one day he'd be exalted above his family, his mom and dad. But what God told Paul, God did not tell Joseph. God told Paul right after he got saved, I'm going to show this man how much he must suffer for my name. He didn't tell Joseph. Joseph got the two dreams, but then he didn't realize there would be years of suffering in the will of God before the exaltation. His brothers hated him. They sell him into slavery. He ends up being owned by a man named Potiphar down in Egypt. Joseph is a handsome man. Potiphar's wife is a godless woman. She repeatedly tries to seduce him. He repeatedly resists. One day she actually grabs him and he leaves his cloak in her hand and he runs. He flees sexual immorality. 
Her husband Potiphar comes home and he says that Hebrew slave tried to rape me and Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison. But God's with him in the prison. He ministers in the prison. Two guys have dreams. They've lost their jobs under the Pharaoh. One of them gets his job back as Joseph interprets the meaning of his dream and says, he says to the guy, once you get your job back now, say a good word for me because I'm innocent. I'm, I shouldn't be here. But the guy forgets him. Two years pass and he's sitting rotten in that prison. That's a challenge to his faith, especially in light of the dreams that God has given him. Years of suffering go by, and yet God finally raises Joseph second in command in all of Egypt. He reveals himself to his brothers as they come to get grain in Egypt because Joseph is the one with all the wisdom in regard to the famine that's come upon the whole land. Chapter 45 with Genesis verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And there again, God used the free choice of his brothers who hated him, but all the suffering was in the will of God. One definition of a cross, it's a trial or affliction. Sometimes it's at work. Sometimes it's at home. Sometimes it's both. First Peter, can't read the whole text. Chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Then it gets real practical in verse 18. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. That applies in the workplace. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you're conscious of God. You're trusting God. Then it gives Jesus as the example. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He trusted his heavenly father to work out everything in his perfect plan and his perfect will for the life of his son. And then chapter 3, verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. That could be an unsaved spouse, or it could be a saved spouse who's not walking in the will of God, and they're walking in darkness. And the call of God in your life is the cross. And then verse 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. The cross. It's the wisdom of the cross. Now, I'm going to give you in the last few minutes more information than you can digest. And if you want to go back and look at it and with a more meditative time, then you can do it by getting the notes. They'll be, I think they put them online around Tuesday or something like that. I'm not sure. You know how many advantages there are in suffering in the will of God? Maybe used to advance the gospel. That's what Paul said. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He said that the Galatian church, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. It was a physical illness that opened the door for Paul to be able to share the gospel. Proves our genuineness as children of God. 
If we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. In this you greatly rejoice, Peter says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. You can't have fellowship with Christ, not deep fellowship, not without suffering. Paul said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Some of my greatest My closest times with the Lord are in very uncomfortable situations. Some of my greatest memories of times that I really had fellowship with the Lord is when I'm away on a cross-cultural mission trip, away from the wife, away from the kids. And you're on America time, and so you can't sleep, and you're up in the middle of the night. You want to sleep, but you can't sleep. That happened to me this week, and I'm in America, my own clock. God, two o'clock in the morning, I woke up, tried to go back to sleep, couldn't go back to sleep. The heart of this message came in the middle of the night the other night. And it was for me. You may not feel like you're blessed, but you suffer in the will of God. You're blessed. You're blessed. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're blessed. Produces perseverance. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. This leads naturally to the next one. Perseverance yields maturity. And then last but not least, maturity. By the way, James says, consider it pure joy because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature. And last, maturity yields a steadfast commitment. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. That doesn't mean you're sinless. That's ridiculous to think you're sinless. Only time we're going to be sinless is when we get new bodies and sin won't dwell in the members of our new body. It just means that you've gone all in. You're not lukewarm. You made your body a living sacrifice and said, God, I'm yours. And you practice dying daily. Now, I got a couple of wonderful memory verses. It's 1210. I got five more minutes. Wonderful memory verse. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Isn't that a great memory verse? Brings you all kind of comfort and warm fuzzies. Let me give you another one. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's like God said, here, I got a gift for you. It's a box of suffering. Enjoy. January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott and four of their missionaries were killed by the very people they were trying to reach for Christ, the Aka Indians and the deep jungles of Ecuador. At the time, the Aka's were cannibals. Today, they're a peaceful people, many of them followers of Jesus Christ. How'd that happen? People like Jim Elliott being willing to go and die for the gospel. After Jim Elliott's death, eventually his wife and his daughter moved into that Aka Indian village. And when those Aka Indians learned why Jim Elliott and the others had come and the conviction of the Holy Spirit Many of them gave their lives to Christ. Not only that, Jim Elliott's death has probably inspired more people to go to other countries to share the love of Jesus than could ever have happened had it been God's will for Jim Elliott to live. He made a statement that's now become famous in Christian circles, and here it is. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Final question. Are you all in for Jesus? I know some are saying I was all in, but I'm not all in now. The good news is you can repent and you can pick up your cross today and make a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ. 
And if you don't know Jesus, it's time to repent. It's time to receive him as Lord and Savior. Now, today. we meet in the book of Acts weren't superheroes. They weren't angels in disguise, nor were they born with more privilege and intelligence than the average human being. These were just ordinary people doing their jobs and doing the best they could, until Jesus changed everything. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection flipped the world upside down, changing the way God was seen and opening up the reality of salvation to every person. That salvation hasn't changed. We all still need Jesus to save us from death. And just like these ordinary members of the early church, we can let the grace we've received flip our world upside down. Now we can live for Christ, sharing him with the world around us and extending the Holy Spirit to everyone we meet. We're so glad you tuned in for today's message on the living word with Pastor Danny Hodges. This ministry is a product of the messages Pastor Danny teaches at Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Join us for a time of fellowship and Bible study, digging into God's Word as a collective group of imperfect believers. Find out more at our website, ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. You can listen to past messages from Pastor Danny while you're there, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to study more from the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word. We'll be right back. 